This is the Wealthy Trucker Podcast. My name is Terry Neely, and joining me today is P.W. Gopal. How are you, P.W.? Good. It's good to see you. Good to connect again. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on here and excited to get your perspective and uh, and just, yeah, just excited to talk. So real quick, uh, who is P.W.? P.W., he's the founder and host of the Blue Collar Money Podcast. Uh, singer, songwriter. He's written what over eight albums in the last seventeen some odd years, and been to a couple thousand shows, performed a couple thousand shows. Um, teacher of financial intelligence, stewardship through the Blue Collar Money podcast. Owner of P Dub's Garage in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, man, you're just an entrepreneur through and through. But one of the most important things I think about it is how much you hold your faith out in front of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when I asked you, you know, what, what, what are you wealthiest in? Is it faith, family, fitness, or finance? You said faith and financial intelligence and, uh, and that you have invest according to your values. So I wanted to get you on here because the, the, the wealthy trucker podcast is very much about what are you wealthy in, in life and, uh, and in those four areas, faith, family, fitness, and finance. And, and you just stand out to me as a man who is not ashamed of your faith by any means. You're, you're, you're a man who pushes your faith and makes sure that it is guiding everything you do in life. Mm. And uh, I just, you know, I, I attended um, a mastermind with PW. I don't know. It's probably been over a year ago now. Is that right, PW? Almost. Yeah. It was at the end of last summer. And, and I learned a lot in that. And, and I know one of the things you pushed in that was, was how do you define the gospel? And as a Christian, you know, I've thought about that a lot since we did that because, Hmm. because as a Christian, it shouldn't be hard to, to easily define it. And I don't think I had ever really thought deeply about it. Hmm. And so when, when you posed that question to all nine of us that were in there and all nine of us kind of gave a little bit of a different answer, yeah. it kind of hit me. I was like, you know what? I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> I think we should be more on, on the same page since we're yeah. all Christians. So anyway, I, I just, I guess I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that and just a yeah. little bit about who you are and what you're doing, you know, and, uh, and yeah, so I don't even know where to go with the first question, but but maybe uh, let's go with this. Who are you? Talk a little bit about you know who you are and what you're doing, and uh, and maybe where you come from. Sure. Um, my name's PW, and I'm uh, a singer songwriter, or have been for the last um, 17 years. Um, I'm husband to Amanda, and father to Caroline and Stella Grace, and. Uh, and we live just north of Asheville, North Carolina. Um, Caroline, my my five year old, so it's five and one. Ca- Caroline got sick a couple years ago. Um, her colon just through some circumstances just shut off, and so life just took a turn. I left the road, um, and our our kind of world got very very small and very focused. Which, you know, it seems like something that's you know. Uh, I mean, it's been, it's been difficult. I'm not gonna, not gonna, um, lighten that, but, um, it's been very, we've had to make very significant changes around 
around what we value. And so um, family has just kind of taken center stage. And it's, you know, it's one of those things like we, you don't see, you don't see God moving until the move is done. You know, when you're, when you're playing chess, you know, you, you can kind of read your opponent, you know, how they played in the past. God, God's not like that. He's not one who wants to be figured out. And so all these changes happened and we had to flex with it. And so now I work from home. I'm not on the road anymore. I don't write music. I barely play music. And, um, I sat down with one of my best friends who's, uh, an author and a speaker and, and a coach. And I sat down with him and I said, <laughs> I kind of need your help. And, uh, and so he gave me some incredible insight. He said, you know, you played music to free people. He said, you know, your heart is for people to experience Jesus. And most of most of the shows I played were kind of a mix of bars during the week and then churches on the weekend. And because I love both crowds of people, he said, you, you know, you played music because you wanted those people to feel free. And now that music is gone, practically it's gone. Um, there are other ways to do that. And um, I've been studying money and money creation and currency and, and um, you know, the financial world for about 11 or 12 years. Um, I partnered up with my buddy, Mike Hatch, you know, and great friend, and we started the podcast. And so, um, so now I, I'm, you know, producing the Blue Collar Money podcast, and we talk about uh, stewardship of the things that God has given us um, and how that plays out in, um, you know, in our home values and how we produce in um, how we invest it in people in the kingdom of God. And then, you know, and, and then how we manage risk around those things. Um, so that's what I currently do. I do. I'm a mechanic. I have a shop at our house and, uh, and a custom carpentry business that I do with a buddy of mine in town. And um, we barely do that. Like we, if somebody calls and it's a, it's a bigger job, we just did a job at the Biltmore a few months ago. And if it's more fun or more lucrative, we'll do that. But for the most part, I'm at home uh, doing calls like this with super interesting people that I'm trying to learn from about the gospel and about business and finance, um, or I'm wrenching on a car, um, you know, work helping our, our, our little uh, homestead. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I kind of have a, a little bit of a passion for that. I'm not a mechanic, but people have asked me many times why I'm not because I always have done my own mechanic work on everything. Yeah. And, and I always tell people I'm not a mechanic because I enjoy working on cars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's getting worse. I mean, it's just, uh, I still love, I still love working on cars, but the level of hatred that I have towards some cars, you know, grows. I feel like daily it's, I don't, I don't know what your world is like, but um, you know, distribution slowing down here parts are showing up either poorly made or not showing up on time or um, comebacks. You know, I've only had a few in the last year, but um, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just a different world we're living in now. Yeah. I guess we're in the middle of a uh, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Just an economic problem where uh, hard, hard to get, What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> the economic slowdown that, that has made it to where getting parts is a lot harder right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Distribution yeah. is, um, 
it's not it's not slowing in a sense, but there are more small disruptions. Um, and people are staffing issues like the distributor that's down the road from us. It's two hours away. Um, it's an O'Reilly's distributor. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm not, it's not something I don't use O'Reilly's exclusively. It's just a shop here in town, but, but they're down 200 people. And wow. so you can imagine that if the other distributors are dealing with the same staffing issue, like it's just not, it's going to be harder to get your parts. And then I've got a buddy who coaches me, who's a master tech in Ohio. And he was saying like, they're having more parts fail. So I know there's quality issue in manufacturing, you know, whether it's an American made part or overseas, like there's the consistency of failure in certain parts. Um, electronic parts are getting harder to get, you know, from overseas. And, um, you know, plus we're in the middle of, of an inflationary period. We haven't hit the, the hyperinflation yet. I mean, there's, the markets are so manipulated um, that, you know, the government can step in and kind of stave off whatever it is they're going to do, um, you know, and, and so we haven't seen seven or $8 gas yet, uh, but we don't know. We don't know what it's, what it's going to happen. So a lot of what, it's funny, a lot of what we've been focusing on on the podcast and in our kind of blue collar money family is just um, living in a season of safety, you know, one, one that we govern, you know, what would it look like for your family to be financially um, safe? You know, have you had those safety conversations around your will, your trusts, your your insurance? Are your insurances in place? You know, is your budget in place um, for for food to increase in in scarcity? So harder to get good food and in and in price, you know, because of that. And uh, so we're, we're really pushing you know, that folks to, to get their ducks in a row, because personally, I just think we're going to be here for a decade. I, I don't think this is going to be a quick resolution. I think they'll kick the can down the road and, and, uh, you know, and I think we'll pay the price for that. Yeah. That's, uh, the Fed's definitely good at, at kicking the can down the road and not letting things fail that uh, probably should fail. Probably should, so yeah. Can, so, so that we can have an actual reset. But that's the thing. I mean, we don't, <laughs> I mean, I even have mixed emotions on it. I don't want everything to fail, you know? Right. It really pushes yeah. into a recession. So I, I understand why they do it. But at the same time, yeah, is would it, would it not be better to just let things fail and have a natural uh, reset actually happen? I don't know. Yeah. It, I, I always equate it to like, uh, like, cause I love going up to the mountains. So I think about the wildfires up in the mountains, like, well, mm. it's a natural thing for wildfires to happen. And when we stave it off and don't allow them to happen, when it finally does happen, it's worse by far. It's so much worse. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, the small little, the small little deaths, I, th I feel like are God ordained. Um, the big ones are, Oh, like you said, they're, they're worse. There's, there's too many people that are poised to take advantage of the fallout from the, from the big, um, the big setbacks, you know, and that you can, I mean, you just, we know what human nature looks like. I mean, Israel is Israel. Like it's for 2000 years, we've been pretty familiar with, you know, people being people. And so there are some that act like they're made in God's image and some that don't. And then, um, and then there's some that, I think actively work against, you know, the good that, that 
that God wants and that people need. And, and I think those folks, um, we usually seek positions of power and take advantage of, of these things. So I think, I think they can be terrible um, for some people. I, I honestly think a lot of people will be unaffected. The, there's a good percentage of the American public that will be unaffected. You, you may pay $100 more for gas like we are now. You know, families are paying $100 more for gas. Um, the majority of families can afford $100. It's the folks that can't afford it that when do, when things do regulate and kind of, you know, come out of the, you know, that that dip, um, they'll, they'll struggle and then their kids will struggle. That's the stuff that I rail against. Yeah. So, PW, um, just so people can get a better understanding of, like, I don't know, your background and, and what's led you to the mindset that you have today. Maybe talk about, like, well, first off, where where'd you grow up? Um, I was born in Sri Lanka, and uh, but was raised in Ohio. My dad went to Ohio State. And so our family settled there. And so I grew up in, in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, it spent almost my entire life there. I moved to Florida for a short time. My first job was as a trainer. I did strength and speed training. And my ambition was to be on the ATP tour as a trainer, working with tennis players. So I moved to Florida, spent six months down there, realized that heat and my dark skin did not match up. Huh. And uh, <laughs> they, I worked for... I worked for the best trainer in the world at the time. Um, and, uh, I did, I couldn't hack the his pace and, and, you know, being on the court 10 hours a day and, um, and I just lacked a lot of confidence. So then I, I just came home I started my own training company. And, um, so I, t I taught elite tennis players at this, uh, tennis club and then, you know, trained as many athletes as I could, but in Ohio, that was a struggle. So, um, I ended up just training moms and dads and, um, yeah, I just did that for about 10 or 11 years. And, and through weird circumstances, just kind of felt the call to, to play music. Most of the families I worked for were millionaires, like multi-millionaires and didn't, didn't seem to have a need for Jesus. We, we talked about we talked about Jesus a lot, but there was never, there's never anybody who was like, yeah, I need that. Whatever you're talking about, whatever you have, I need it. And so I started praying. I said, God put me in a place where there's a desperation. And so he sent me to the bars. Um, I, I, I got rid of all my clients and um, a buddy of mine gave me a $30,000 loan on a handshake. And he said, I'm going to pay off your debt and uh, I'm going to sell you my truck, the suburban. And then another friend of mine, who um, ended up becoming a pretty famous producer in Nashville, Christian music producer. And he wrote a bunch, most of Tomlin's songs. He said, you know, there are guys better than you waiting tables here. Don't ever move here. He said, just go and play. And so for two years, I never said no to anybody. I just went and played and, and uh, found myself in some of the nastiest bars in the country and, and it, it was became home to me just being around people that didn't know Jesus, because when I would talk about or write about hunger and thirst and, and, you know, feeling hopeless and they knew what I was talking about, you know, and I, it was very odd for them to have somebody sit and drink a beer with them and talk about Jesus. But I prayed 
for more people in bars than I ever have in church, which is, you know, kind of a shameful thing to admit. Um, but that's, uh, that was kind of my background. I mean, I, I grew up a Hindu until I was in high school and then met Jesus through some friends in young life, which is a, um, I think technically it's called a parachurch ministry, but it's kind of like a campus crusade, but for high school students. And, um, uh, yeah, I was a volunteer leader for them for about 14 years and then have pretty much just, I grew a heart for the church early on, mainly because of the community I had in, in young life and have been working hard, um, to kind of build community, keep community. I want my daughters to experience the brotherhood that I had growing up with incredible Christian men. And, um, yeah, so that's the background. It doesn't make sense for a songwriter to be concerned with money. Um, but when you, when you look at what people struggle with, you know, it's answering the basic question of, is God good? It goes a long way when you actually provide for somebody, like when you feed them or you invite them into your home or you share what you have with them. So I think there's, there's a correlation between, you know, the, that physical need that people have and where their hearts are, you know, with, with that, you know, that, uh, that void that Pascal talked about, you know, the God shaped void in, in your, in your heart. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me in my past. Wow. So what was that? So you grew up Hindu and then you joined the young life program or a uh, group. Yeah. And that's when you became a Christian. What was, what, what was it? What, what was it about Christianity that, that intrigued you that, that ultimately captured your, your heart? Yeah, it was, I mean, I, this is why I believe in the sovereignty of God. Cause from the time I was little, I always thought about God and my parents always talked about God, but it was, it was in the, um, you know, the overbearing hammer fist, strong arm kind of, you know, if you do this, then God will punish you. Um, so in, in, to a Hindu grace doesn't make sense because the upside down kingdom of God says, you know, that the least of these are, are elevated and honored. And to a Hindu, your job is to do more good than bad in your life. So when, when you die and you get reincarnated, if you've done more good than bad, the scale tips in your favor and you get reincarnated to a higher level. And you do that over and over till you, till you uh, hit your nirvana and you become your own God. And after, you know, I grew up in a pretty violent home and after watching my dad, especially, I was like, man, I don't see God's being made in my house. I, I don't see this process working. And, and, and I, and I, since I was a little kid, I always hated the idea, hated the idea that God would have an equal. It didn't, you know, there's 330 million gods in the Hindu religion wow. and all, all people at one point. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. If I'm going to believe in a God, I want to believe in a God that has no equals so when I heard about Jesus, I was like, again, I'm listening to people read scripture and talk about this stuff, and it's all Greek. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's a good lesson for people in the evangelical world. When you're talking to somebody who has no frame of reference of the gospel or people that haven't been around church or a-churched, a um, don't spout off stuff and say, the you know, because the Bible said so, because there's no frame of reference for that. It doesn't mean anything to them. 
what what convinced me was this group of people that were these this group of young life folks that were incredibly loving and kind and generous and everything that god is they were to me and i was like man this is more like family than anything i've ever experienced and um so i went to my 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 leader strangely enough has a guy named steve steve was a quadriplegic so no use of his arms or his legs and we became friends. I met him at, at, at the high school one day and uh, he was rolling around just hanging out with some people that I knew. And uh, we got introduced and we built a friendship over the next few months. And he said, you know, he, and I think he kind of knew this, like that I was going to be in some serious trouble um, or, you know, end up dead within the next year. And he he said, you know, um, do you want a job? And, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm I'll take a job. What do I have to do? And, and he said, do you, do you want to organize some baseball cards for me? And I was like, well, that sounds like any pedophiles pickup line. Like what, what do you, <laughs> you know? And I was like, uh, Oh, okay. So I went to his house and uh, he lived with his mom, his parents at, at the time. And, you know, and this guy's, he's in his mid twenties. Uh, but we roll into the house. I meet his family, takes me to a closet and the closet is literally, there's, there's a, there's a, 150,000 baseball cards. And he's, you know, he's planning on buying a house. He's like, I got to organize these and I got to sell them. And so I literally organized baseball cards at his kitchen table um, for, I don't know what it was, five or six bucks an hour. And then he's, I got to know him a little more over the next year. And he said, Hey, do you want to drive me around? I have to go from place to place. I need a driver. And I was like, yeah, you know, that wasn't even a good driver. But he gave me this, you know, I had a giant handicap van. And so I would, you know, drop him off and, and I would listen to him preach the gospel at this event or that event or take him to doctor's appointments or whatever he was doing. I was just with him and I was with him almost every day for seven years. Um, and so his, his friends became my friends. They became my trusted people. And uh, yeah. And so I, when I was 16, I had, you know, I, I um, said, I, I kind of surrendered to the Lord. I said, all right, I'm going to try this out. And, and Steve said, you know, if, if, if you want to get to know Jesus, get to know Jesus. If you don't like it, you can walk away. And I just never, it just never occurred to me to walk away. I just found more life in Jesus than these other gods that, um, that I was introduced to as a kid. And I, formed, I found more life in the people of God um, than I have anywhere else. And um and I have to search harder for that now. I think, you know, I think the church is so steeped in idolatry um, to all kinds of things, left left wing and right wing idolatry. And so I, I, I feel like I focus a ton on, you know, people really understanding what the gospel is. Um, I've, I've interviewed seven local pastors and I, and I just sat with them, you know, we had lunch and I said, what's the gospel? And of course it was, it was, it wasn't an, of course, at the beginning, um, it, it became an, of course, you know, they, they all of them quoted Corinthians, you know, well, Jesus Christ, um, you know, was buried or died, buried, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God. I mean, they just kind of went through and, and I kept and it really puts personal salvation, you know, the, the, you know, here's the cross, the central piece of Christianity, and here's what you get from it. 
and and it wasn't it's not the complete story and i kept thinking like as a hindu you know you're talking about things that i can't relate to you're talking about one part of the gospel that has a little bit before it and a giant ending to it and so then i i met with several i've met, i meet with pastors every week from all over the country and i finally a friend of mine said very succinctly he's like you can't you can't call the gospel what jesus didn't preach you know if we if we hold jesus to the same standard as that of personal salvation that that's not what what that's part of what jesus talked about but in the gospel you see four messages god reconciling man to himself man to man man to creation and man to his inner self all those things happen inside of the good news of the gospel and it's all part of the narrative and of course personal salvation is a huge part of it but that's putting us at the center of the story there's so much more that god is wanting to include in that and if you look at how jesus taught his disciples to pray it's included in that our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven mother Teresa said that Jesus has no hands and feet on this earth, meaning like the Holy Spirit is in us to do the work of, of God. And so it isn't about all about personal salvation. There's so much more that the church is here for. And, you know, and part of that is reconciling the earth, you know, back to its glory. It's, it's seeing man reconciled to God. Um, it's seeing man reconciled to other men, men and, you know, men and women reconciled other, you know, all these things are part of Shalom of the wholeness of the kingdom manifesting here. Um, and, and that is something I obsess over. Um, the reason I've met with so many local pastors is because at least where I live in the South, most of the message revolves around personal salvation and it allows you to ignore a whole bunch of other things, um, that they would call, um, some some have called antithetical to the gospel or some have called well the gospel is the cross but the fruit of the gospel is all the things you're talking about um and to me the cross is is the price paid for all of the things i mentioned happening um which i can wrap my head around as a former hindu i can't wrap my head around the personal salvation piece being the the wholeness and fullness of of the message like um, it doesn't make sense to me that he would redeem people and, and not glorify himself through the rest of it. You know, if he indeed is calling the rocks to cry out, you know, to glorify him and for earth to call his name and to represent, I just don't understand how all of these other things are unimportant to him. So that's a yeah, very, very great. long answer to your question. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, it gives good perspective there and a lot to think about. I think it's worth saying that, we just happen to be talking on Good Friday right now. Today's Good Friday. Yeah. You know, this podcast won't be released today, but but uh, just just for some context there. But I want to read that what you're talking about in Corinthians because I mean, what you just said there, I think is brought out in verse two. It's First Corinthians, First Corinthians fifteen, and I'm just going to read like verses one through eight, but. But on verse two, I think it's getting at what you're saying right there. Mm. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received on 
which you have taken your stand. And then verse two, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at right there when you, when you're talking about, you can, you can preach the gospel and just grab a new believer's attention just enough to, to, to make them even possibly just think that they're saved hmm. and then they can go off and live their life the way, however they want. And if you don't teach them more and more about Jesus and, and what he actually has done for you, yeah, then, then ultimately you could be in a position where you're just believing in vain and maybe you're not really saved. And, and that's a scary thing to say and a scary thing to think about, sure. but I mean, it's definitely true. And so I just want to finish reading all this and we can keep talking, but yeah, for what yeah. I received, I passed on to you as for, uh, as the first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And so, yeah, I mean, if you're reading that to a non-Christian, somebody who doesn't have a clue about the context, yeah. and you just say, this, this is the gospel, and, and and leave it at that. Well, it might intrigue them enough to want to learn more, but you can't just leave it there. So, right. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming at and what you're coming from. And for me as a Christian, when I was posed the question, you know, what is the gospel? It, it I mean, it's kind of hard to answer in a way because you can just say what I've read here and leave it at that. But that's not enough to me if, if you're talking yeah. to a non-Christian. So. So yeah, I, I I feel what you're getting at, and and yeah. I have now myself personally started to develop a passion around that. So have you been have, have you heard of the the TV series called The Chosen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of our friends. Oh have man, it. yeah, I've been watching that, and we we started watching that in our high school ministry at church, okay. and yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I've I've started watching it on my own and. Man, to watch that, it has, it's just, it's transformed my understanding of mm. really the New Testament in general, but, but really Christ's life and what it was like to live in first century. Um, so I just, I don't know. I, I found it incredibly powerful and it's, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's not the Bible. You need to read the Bible to go along with it because it's just a story. Um but uh man it's it's been a powerful been a powerful thing for me anyway yeah so i don't know how how is how do you perceive that have you watched a lot of it or all of it or no we they're they're not uh, even done with it yet but yeah we haven't even we haven't really dug into it um well i think for a while we didn't have a a station that we could watch it on like we have we have it now but we haven't spent it i haven't spent any time in it um, but I think the power, anytime I think the, the, the story of God can come to life, like if, if, when there are talented people who can bring it to life, you know, not every, not everyone responds, um, 
and this is this is a very like non-presbyterian thing to say this is like you know i kind of grew up in the presbyterian church and but you know there are some denominations that say if you read scripture that the spirit will use that and um and change you and i i 100 believe that but there's something to be said for the story coming to life in all these other uh, mediums. Um, so when I see people act it out, when I see, when I saw the passion, passion, things became more clear. When I meditate and I'm not open, I don't have the written word open, but I'm meditating and I'm um, just sitting with God, letting the Holy Spirit talk to me. I'm reacting um, to the gospel. Um, when I'm listening to worship music and I'm hearing that same line, the old timers in our church get so frustrated because they're like, are you going to play another 7-Eleven song? I'm like, what, what does that mean? They're like, are you going to say the same seven things 11 times? And I'm like, yeah, we actually might because, you know, we know that, you know, that repetition, that repetition actually changes your physiology. And, you know, so there's all these different ways that I think the gospel will work its way into our body. I love the fact that somebody took the time to make a good, um, it's not a movie. What do you call it? A movie series, a show, uh, just, I mean, TV series, TV series on the life of Christ. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I'm going to spend some time, I think this summer, um, you know, digging into it and with my wife. And then I think when our girls are old enough. We'll start to check it out. Like my my daughter reads um, the Jesus Storybook Bible. We read it with her every night, and which are very very simplified versions of the stories in the Gospels. Well, actually, it's not the Gospel; it's Old and New Testament, and it's so beautifully done and simple. I think I may have gotten more out of it than she has, you know, because I struggle I struggle with the structure of the Old Testament. You know, you can't read it straight through. You have there has to be. Uh, somebody has to walk you through all of the Old Testament books because, you know, if you just started in the beginning and kind of read through it, you're, everything's out of order. And yeah. I think I think an overarching narrative, which the Jesus Storybook Bible does an incredible job of kind of walking through, like, the need for a Savior, right? And then um, the introduction of the Savior. So, you know, between, between um, Malachi... And John the Baptist, 400 years, 400 years of Israel just making stuff up, you know, well, by my best recollection. And then, you know, they would kind of carry on with what the Messiah was supposed to be like and, and what practices are going to be, you know, part of this community and that community. And then John the Baptist shows up and starts talking very specifically about Jesus. Then Jesus shows up and is like, everything, you know, um, I am that. And now let me help you shed all of the other junk that you've added to, to this, to <laughs> me. And, um, and it's funny, it's been 2000 years ish since he's been here. And I think, you know, there are, man, there are seasons of time where we have to do the same thing. We got to start shedding all that stuff that we've added or taken away. And, um, and so I, I really applaud things that make people sit down and question their, their, you know, their assumptions, you know, their hard fought beliefs. Um, I'm sure if I sit down and watch the chosen that I will have to get rid of something that I've 
piled up in my head about who Jesus is or who God is or, you know, what he wants. Um, and I think I, I, that's a good thing. I think no, I agree. And that's exactly what it's done for me. I mean, to the more and more you, the closer you can get to realizing that, that Jesus was a man and, and lived his life here with us, huh. I think the better because it gives you more of a personal connection because yeah, Amen. you can relate. And so that's, that's what it's been doing for me anyway. So I don't want to just talk about the chosen, but man, it's, it's been a powerful thing for me. So no, I love that. <laughs> so, well, once I'll um, come back, I'll come back and talk to you after I've seen, you know, five or 10 episodes and yeah, let's do that. Cause it, yeah, it's awesome. So money, um, what, what has, you've gone from uh, being a Hindu to converted to Christianity as a teenager. And then ultimately what, uh, finding a mentor that, that you ended up spending a ton of time with. And that just makes me think, you know, uh, what's the saying The you, you are a product of the five people you hang out with the most. Mm. And it seems yeah. to me that, that when you spent that, those seven or 10 years or whatever it was driving that guy around and, and, uh, and sorting his baseball cards, you were just, you were surrounded by people that developed you into who you are today. Yeah. And, uh, um, so ultimately that led to your, singing career which you had a passion there for spreading the gospel sounds like yeah. that's that's a big reason why you did it yeah and so now in, in, at this stage in life you're you're doing the blue collar money podcast you're doing the blue collar money uh coaching program so so what i guess what kind of led into that how, how did you develop into that and start doing that stuff um, I was actually trying to find a way off of the road. Um, I wasn't planning on getting married or having kids. You know, I had fallen in love a long, long time ago. It didn't work out. And I was like, well, I mean, God may not mean for me to, you know, to have a family. And I'd, so it just wasn't on the radar. I met my wife when I was in my late thirties, I think, uh, I was on the road, um, and then we got more serious. She ended up moving to North Carolina. She's from South Carolina, but she was living in Chicago. She moved about an hour and a half from me. When we got more serious, um, I was, I just was, you know, kind of praying through, okay, how do I actually do this and be married and have a family? And a guy that I had mentored um, when he was in college, I, he came by, I was putting a kitchen in my sister's house when I had a break from the road and in uh in ohio and so he stopped by and pulled up a chair and um <laughs> it's funny because he he looking back on it, it's funny because he he i was tearing a floor out and i was cutting the subfloor which just it was painstaking and he didn't he didn't lift a hammer he just sat in a chair and we talked and uh he was probably there five or six hours while i was cutting the floor out but he was like you know i i've started with twelve thousand. i'm up um six hundred thousand and I was like, how are you gambling? And he goes, no, I'm actually just investing in stocks. And I'm like, what do you know about stocks? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I bought a couple of books and I had some guys, um, he worked at a hospital. He goes, I have some doctor friends that are pretty intelligent with this stuff. And they've taught me some stuff. And now I just trade other people's money. 
And I was, I was so blown away. This guy is, I mean, it's been 20 years. He still hasn't finished college. Um, I don't know what he is. He's up right now, but it's gotta be over a million dollars. Um, so he said, you know what you should do? Because you have a good head for numbers. If you want to get off the road and have a family, he's like, you should really start you know, thinking about trading like day trading. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, what's day trading? It literally was like that. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So he's like, I bought a basic book on day trading and that might actually be the title. Um, I bought volume one, then I've got number two. Like when I was on the road, Amanda would be with me sometimes. She would fly up to the gig and then, you know, drive home with me. Um, and I'd make her read day trading books in the car. You know, she was literally reading to me about candles and wicks and different strategies, you know, um, the head and shoulders and the inverted cu- and the c- inverted cup and the, I mean, flag patterns. And I learned a lot of that on the road with her. Um, and it became my way out of music, you know, like Harvey McKay, um, is an author and it's, he's a billionaire. He, he, he used to say, uh, you dig your well before you're thirsty. And this is my way of digging, you know, building a foundation elsewhere outside of music. And, um, so I started to learn about money. I started day trading. I started actually, of course, of course, um, I looked up a video on YouTube, um, about stocks and right next to it on the right hand column was a video that said, I made $5,000 in five minutes. And I was like, well, I want to know what that is. So I clicked on it and it was a futures trader showing off one of their easy trades. And I was like, well, those guys aren't smarter than me. So, so I watched, um, probably, I don't know. Oh, easily over 200 hours of futures trading videos and figured out what, what platform people were using. Um, I started messaging people and saying, Hey, who is your broker? Who is the, your level two trader? Like who is, I just went through the list. I opened up an account. I sold a prize Gibson guitar. I filled the account with money and I lost the money. And then Hmm. I put more money in and more money in. And um, I mean, it was just getting to the point where I'd play a couple gigs, make a few thousand dollars and put the money in the account. And at some point I was like, okay, I'm doing, I'm making great trades. I'm making great money. And then I lose all at once, you know? So, so I've got most of it right. And some of it really wrong. And um, so then I started paying 750 bucks a month to sit in a chat room with a trader. Um, with a lot of other people and we watched them trade and he would basically talk about the markets and the rhythms and this and that. And, um, but those things were kind of a dead end because they would only give you about 90% of the information, you know, enough to do really well until you didn't. Um, I had a pretty tumultuous like decade of trading, you know, I do really well until I, until I didn't. And what I was realizing was I was experiencing the manipulations in the market. I got an, I got a financial coach who was an economist and he was like, bro, he goes, I don't know. I don't know what the stuff you're into. I can give you the backstory of money. You're, you're working in a world that you don't understand. You don't understand how money works. You understand how trading works, but you don't understand how money works. If you understand how money works, you'll understand that there are no free markets, just manipulations. And that changed everything for me. He's like, I want you to read this book. I won't give you another minute of my time unless you read this book. And it was called The Fourth Turning. It is a brutal 600-page book on, on financial history and, and 
and human behavior. Um, and so I stopped, I stopped, um, working in the chat room, you know, listening to the traders and, and, uh, and I started learning about human behavior. And so, you know, I see God working in that. I realized that I can't free myself from, um, you know, from one career and move into another until I really understand what it looks like. Um, and I, and, you know, to put it in perspective, futures trading is the wild, wild west of money. There's nothing remotely, um, there's no part of it that's, that's investing. It's just gambling. Yeah. That's what and I was just I, thinking. You, the, the question you posed to the, to the guy, uh, what are you doing? Gambling? You were right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Now it is really fun. I love it. I'd love to go back to it. Um, I just want to go back with the big stack of chips. Now, the thing that I have to reconcile in my heart after hanging out with Mike Hatch is um, M and listening to Warren Buffett and listening to other investors, um, Ray Dalio. I mean, different, like, am I producing anything? No, I'm not producing anything. I'm not, I mean, I. I have friends that are followers of Jesus that are traders that are options traders and, you know, futures traders and, and they make a ton of money and they do good things with that money. Um, I realized that it's the on-ramp for me to make a big stack of chips is X. It's very long. The on-ramp for me to, um, or the, you know, my end, my end game, you know, uh, it, well, I'll say it plainly. It's going to take me a long time to make a lot of money. And in the process, am I going to be able to do good with it? And I can only answer yes to one of them or to, you know, like I can do good with it. Um, but it's going to take me too long. So I'll, I'm going to have to figure out a different way. Um, you know, I'm basically, I'll be gambling for 10 years until my discipline shows up. And then maybe when I'm 60, you know, that I'll, I'll be able to, you know, there's a whole lot of ifs. It's like stacking maybes, you know, it's a house of cards. And so, especially after hanging out with Mike Hatch and just, um, you know, he was very big on production, that God wants us to have a production mindset. Um, everything had to change for me, you know, from speculation to production. And so, um, you know, and, and God was already working behind the scenes to make it happen. I had to kind of give up music. And so now I run a garage and we're trying to make the garage. Um, I've had a couple $5,000 weeks in the garage, which is pretty hard doing it by yourself. Um, it's impossible to do four of those in a month, but now we're kind of asking the Lord, like, okay, what's the future of this? And I, I don't stress over it. That's on the Lord. Like if he wants the garage to do well, if he wants me to switch to the carpentry, I can do that. Um, you know, my goal isn't, like it was before to, to make money quickly uh, and, and to, you know, do good with the leftovers. You know, I want to make, I want to make a stable life for my girls. I want them in that time between me, between now and my death <laughs> to learn the gospel, to learn what our family values. Um, and I, and I want to do good while I'm working. Um, you know, today I got to visit a customer. Uh, don't tell anybody, but I, I forgot to put a couple plastic pieces back on her engine, uh, a couple no. of clips. And so I called her. I was like, Hey, I still got your dust cover clips here. Can I just come by your house and put them on? 
And so I dropped by her house. I had a wonderful conversation with her. She's like, can I just brag for a second? And I said, sure. She goes, I want you to see the cabinets I made. So I went into her house and I got to see her cabinet. She showed me her garden. We had a great conversation and I left. And, you know, and it's just now I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm getting to produce good work for people, but also get to know them and hopefully maybe in some weird small way, you know, give them a glimpse of, of who Jesus is. And, uh, you know, that's all, that's all, I think that's all I can ask myself. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you spoke to that a little while ago when you talked about, uh, you coming to your Christian faith, you came to it because you got into a group of people and you saw how they were living their lives. Yeah. It was more of them, them living out the gospel as opposed to preaching the gospel. And, uh, I think that's what yeah. we're called as christians to do we're not all called to be preachers but we are all called to live we are yeah. all called to live like jesus did and yeah. so living out the gospel that, that's the way we spread it probably more so than than just simply talking about it um yeah. it comes with it but yeah that's and, and and to your point like in the in the culture that we're living in now where um it's hard to at least for me, you know, I'm, I'm, a, you know, I vote libertarian. I'm, I'm kind of giving up on both sides. Um, I don't see people engaging each other, you know, outside of throwing mud at each other. And so I think words have a different kind of strength now than they used to. Um, and so it's, it is more important now to, to live out the gospel you know, to let the Holy Spirit use you, um, to use your hands and feet. And, you know, the, the, the thing I learned from Steve, Steve was my young life leader, mentor, um, my best friend, you know, he, he spent five to six hours a day. I mean, sometimes less, but many occasions, five to six hours praying, just sitting with the Lord. And, and this is a guy who, when he rolled into a room, the room would change. Like, yeah, I, I, I have a, I have a like visceral reaction to the Holy Spirit because I was around the Holy Spirit in Him, and I, and I realized that that Holy Spirit, you know, the same, the same Holy Spirit that holds the Earth on its ecliptic, like that makes this world rotate, you know, just the right speed, and that same power is in us. You know, Jesus looks at us, John 14, you will do everything that I've done, you will do even greater things than these, because I will go to the Father and I will ask Him ask anything in my name and it will be given. Like he is telling us that, that, that Shalom can come about through us and that he's given us the power, the same power that like holds the earth on its axis, that same power is in us. So that means it's the power to heal, the power to redeem, um, you know, the, the power to bring peace, grace, love. I mean, all all the fruits of the spirit can come about because of our availability to him. That's, that's a very high bar, but, but thank God that it is right. Yeah. Like, thank God that that's his standard. And he's like, you can't get there, but I can through you. So be available to me. And that is crazy intimidating, but it's also exciting. Yeah, it is. It, it reminds me, I can't remember if it's uh, Calvin or Luther, but one of the two, they, uh, they talk about 
you know, during the Reformation and they're, and they're doing all this writing and everything and under tremendous pressure, you know, and people are trying to kill them. And uh, one of them made the comment, I don't remember the exact quote, but uh, it goes along the lines of the, the more intense it got, the more time I would spend in prayer. So even if, <laughs> even if they had a deadline or something or something they're trying to achieve and, and they need a, a ton of time to do it, they'd spend even more time in prayer. Yeah. And uh, I just thought, and they still got it done. And so it, it makes me think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to get a bunch of stuff done during the day. And, and God is, my time with God ends up dwindling down to the point where sometimes I don't even pray to God at all in one day. And, and it's completely backwards. And, yeah. you know, I, I should, yeah. if I have 10 hours worth of work to do and I only have nine hours worth of work to do it, I should be praying for like seven of those hours right. to get it all done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't make any human sense at all, Yeah. but that's what, that's what we're called to do. And I think, man, if I could ever truly get my head wrapped around that and do that, what that would mean for my life as a Christian, I just, I, I kind of daydream about it and, and hope that I can get there one day, but yeah. man, it, that, that's a hard, a hard hurdle to, to, to leap over. I think at least it is for me anyway. Yeah. The wealthy trucker is sponsored by my friends at biblical wealth solutions. Jared Williams and his team of coaches and financial experts help their clients achieve financial freedom for God's glory. It's true that investing in multifamily and other types of real estate is a proven strategy to build wealth, but of course, there's more to wealth than just how you invest. I've known Jared and his team for a couple of years and have personally chosen to work with Biblical Wealth Solutions to help me be sure that I have a solid foundation of protection, savings, and control as well as unique investment strategies to help me achieve financial freedom as quickly and successfully as possible. Biblical Wealth Solutions offers coaching, education, and tools to both retirees and working families. Today, they are offering Wealthy Trucker listeners a free one-hour coaching call to show you how to achieve financial freedom more quickly and effectively so that you can have the freedom of time to do all that God has uniquely called you to do. Schedule a free call today at biblicalwealthsolutions.com forward slash wealthy trucker. Again, that's biblicalwealthsolutions.com forward slash wealthy trucker. Now back to the wealthy trucker. I think the cool thing that is, you know, in, in God, how is how he has set this up for us is that we have the church, right? We have the big C church to, to lean on for that. Like the, the reason that I feel passionately about certain things is because I saw it lived out. And so now that I've experienced it and I've tasted that it's good, I know it's the standard. I go searching for it. You know, I, I hang out with guys that keep that bar high. Now, now they may not, they're not perfect, you know, but they're willing to say, yeah, the bar really is up there and let's, let's all strive for it. You know, so I think your teammates are really important. I, I had a, a pastor several years ago um, tell me, he said, your, your view of the gospel is too lofty. You'll spend the rest of your life being disappointed. And we were, we were arguing over some, um, we were arguing over the practicality of some, some decisions we're making in the church. And, uh, and I just, at that point, I was like, well, I don't think this is the place for me then, you know, because I, I think the bar should stay high. I think 
it should seem absolutely ridiculous, um, you know, for, for for the church to adhere to the standards, but under the power of God's own spirit, you know, he keeps his own standard like through us, like he knows how to glorify himself. And so I don't think he's asking us to lower the bar. Um, I think he wants to recognize that the bar is, is where it is and we can't get there. And so it, it should drive us, like you said, it should drive us to, to seek him. And, uh, and when you're around people that do that and, and even so impractically, you're like, okay, that's somebody that I need to talk to on, on a more regular basis. And, um, and I have my, I have my list of people. And the sad thing is that, that only a couple of them live in town. They're yeah. all over the country, but I basically said, Hey, look, like I really respect how you live. Can I, can I just hop on a call with you here and there once a month? Like just anything you'd be willing to offer. I just. I want to learn from you. And, you know, honestly, most people are, are very kind and generous and will say yes to that kind of thing. Sure. I mean, we're called to be disciples and disciple one another, and that's exactly what you're doing there. Yeah. 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 Well that's said. Something that, that I've been trying to implement in my own life. And, and honestly, this podcast has, has kind of increased that for me. I mean, just this conversation with you yeah. is, is a little bit of that. And so, but I, I guess I want, you said something there about your pastor or that pastor, not necessarily your pastor that, yeah. that made that comment. And it makes me think that maybe, and I'm, this is no excuse, but I think this might be what's potentially happening in the church that the pastors, you know, they're, they're surrounded by so many people that, that don't see that bar because oh, so many people in a church building are new Christians. And they don't understand just how hard it is to truly try to, to, to set that type of standard in their lives, you know? And then I see all these pastors that, well, I don't see it. I assume that maybe their mindset is because they're surrounded by that all the time. And so then they're not striving to go to that level Probably because they're scared of pushing people away from the church, which I think is backwards thinking, you know, that, that to me is them trying to be the savior and not leaning on Christ to be the savior. So I don't know. I've I've got lots of mixed emotions around this too, because I've thought plenty of times the church should be doing more about just, just preaching the word and not just giving heartfelt stories that, that, that grasp the attention of a person and, and convert them. And then they don't feed them any, anything after that. You know, I, I feel like I've learned more about, I know I have, I've learned more about my Christian faith, developed more as a Christian man out here on the road by listening to sermons, reading audio, reading the, the, the Bible through audio version and, or just spending half the day, in complete silence and, yeah. and praying while I'm yeah. out driving down the, the highway. So, and I don't think that's the norm. I mean, that that's not the average quote unquote Christian. I don't think is spending that much time in, in the word. And I'm not, I don't want to make myself sound high and mighty at that. Don't cause I'm, I'm just as much a sinner as anybody else. And uh, I just think that it would seem to me that, most of the people I know 
aren't living a real Christian life. And, and it's really shallow, I guess is what I'm getting at. And, and everybody has the opportunity to grow and, and get more, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. It's hard to find somebody who's trying to live their life to the high standards that, that Jesus has called us to live it to. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you, you have an advantage. Um, I mean, I did for, I mean, I guess 17 years I was on the road. Um, but, but being alone is an advantage. And I didn't see that in the beginning, you know, cause I was used to being around people. I was kind of a learned extrovert and then, but, but, you know, I spent six to eight hours up to 17, 20 was my longest trip on the road every day. And, you know, so that, that, the silence is like a luxury. Most people can't live in silence and get paid. Very few jobs offer that. So I think that's one thing where you can really hear the voice of God when there's not a lot of other stuff going on. Like you have a massive advantage. Clergy should be the other group that um, has an advantage of, you know, of time to hear from God. The problem with modern clergy, you know, is honestly, especially in this you know, pandemic season, it's not really their fault is there's, there's too many, as far as in the typical American church, there's too many moving parts um, managed by too few people. I mean, everyone's that I know of has heard like 20% of the people in church do 80% of the work. And I haven't found that to be untrue. You know, the, the one thing that I think if we can mechanically change anything is that there should be more leadership, more lay leadership in church. And that's, you know, that that's a twofold fix. I mean, if there is a fix at all, um, is it more men and women need to step up and say, I'm going to take over this part of leadership in our church. And, and the clergy in the church should allow for that. Um, that's, a, that's a high bar on both sides. Most people, most, most folks I know that have power don't want to give it up and don't trust people that haven't lived in that lane long enough. And then there are other, you know, then there's a consumer mentality of a decent amount of the American church of, you know, I want to go and I want to get fed. Um, I mean, we, neither one of us can count how many times we've heard that, you know, well, when I, when I go to, I just had the conversation yesterday. Well, when I go to church, I want to get fed. And so I'm just, I'm not getting fed while I'm there. And you know, and, and at least in the historical sense, um, you know, God calls us to, like you said, to disciple one another, to, to, to pastor one another, to feed each other. You know, we, we, the worship services in the church and this, I don't know when this changed, you know, a couple hundred years ago, I guess for us, but, um, a worship service is about worship. Most people I know as a worship leader that it, I get one and a half songs to warm people up or get them in the door. So the first two songs are a wash. And by the third song, maybe they've settled themselves down and are, you know, let their agendas go. And they're actually thinking about the presence of God and how they're, you're both together in that room with your church family. Well, then it's over. So we're prepping for a sermon. And so we get the sermon. The pastor comes in and opens up the scripture to us. We're like, great. Maybe we do a response song. Maybe we don't. Maybe we dismiss. We go about our week. Well, you've got six other days to read scripture. 
you have six other days to meditate. You know, you have six other days to, to, to pray and, and all the different disciplines, you know, you have six other days to take a hike and enjoy God's creation. Like think about all of the, of the sacraments that God has given us, you know, I mean, the Catholic church talks about the seven major sacraments, but um, you know, baptism and marriage and um, Eucharist and all that, you know, you go down the list, but God has given us all these other different ways to engage him. And we've kind of narrowed it down to, uh, you know, one, one hour, one hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday. And um, so that's a lot of responsibility for one person. Um, So there's a natural, there's a natural mechanism in place across the U S for failure. And it's the structure of our church. Um, and so I, I can't really blame it on a pastor, but you know, they, they've got to be sound enough to, to know that, um, more people have to lead because there's more people that need to pastor. One person cannot pastor 300. Right. You can't, you can't do it. Like your job is to disciple your kids. And the 65, I mean, how old are you in your forties? 39, 39. Yeah. So there's gotta be some 60 year old dudes in your church that should be responsible for you, you know, and, and, um, you know, investing in, in you as, as a husband and as a father and as an entrepreneur and as a businessman. And, um, that's a lot to ask when we're all crazy busy. Yeah. I guess that's, that's the thought that keeps going through my head as we're talking here and, and maybe even, bringing us into the next step of, of what you're doing with uh, financial education with people in that it's not just a church problem that we're experiencing. It's the, the American culture. I mean, sure. We, we work nonstop. I mean, I'm out here on the road 60 hours a week beyond what I do within real estate. And then in my volunteer time at church and right. it's stupid. That's too many hours. Uh, it, I mean, if I didn't have the ability, like you say, I am spoiled because I have the ability to uh, deepen my my faith in God and learn about it out here on the road. I learn about real estate stuff out here on the road. I write yeah. sermons for, for the high school ministry while I'm out here on the road. And most people can't do that right. when they're, right. you know, like if, even as a mechanic. I mean, your mind is is trying to figure something out while you're turning wrenches or you're talking to people, you don't have time to focus on something else. I, I can focus on whatever I want out here when I'm on the open highway. So anyway, but, I guess the, there's, the point there, it's funny because there, there, there is, a, there is an advantage to long bits of quiet, right. And silence. Mm-hmm. But you know, if, if God is consistent in who he is, that every job that's out there, almost every job um, affords us, you know, some kind of, um, it's the automation piece. Like, it, you know, when, when I was in college, I was a background was physiology, right? So I worked in sports, but other people worked in rehab and, but there's a, there's a mental wheel, right? So it's uh, it's an automation wheel where you are, um, you know, you're, you're, let me see if I can get this right. The top left corner, unconscious incompetence. You don't know, and you can't do conscious incompetence you you know and you still can't do conscious competence you know and you can do and then unconscious competence right so you get to the point where muscle memory takes over you're not thinking yeah. about it, you can still do it 
there's there's a place in every one of our jobs where we you know there are moments where we can just do the work and our mind can be given over to other things and that's like the early church you learn this in the practice of his presence brother lawrence where um you know you see people th this constant conversation happening with god and there's there's a moment in in that man's life where you know he he where he was referring back to the church praying continually and somebody asking him about it. And he's like, well, how do you do that? These, some of these guys are master woodworkers. Well, you got to concentrate on the blade and the wood. And he's like, well, while I'm doing my work, that guy is praying. And while I'm doing, well, he's working, then I'm praying. And so the other part of it is, you know, when that, it, that the early church really had a good sense of we, it wasn't just me. It's just, it's not me out on my own. You know, I, it's not just on me to figure this out. There's a we to it. So I think we, no matter what job we have, we can have those really beautiful moments of clarity with God and that constant conversation. I also think when life is crazy and, and we are kind of overcooked that our brothers and sisters um, can really, you know, pick up the slack. And uh, it's not just on you to raise your boy, right? Like, yeah. it's just, it's it's not on me. I want my daughters to have as many good men in their life that can give them a different view of who God is, you know? And, you know, and so I, I don't, I don't leave it up to my pastor to get it all right. And, uh, you know, so I also can't blame them and, it goes wrong because that's on me too. You know, like it's, well, it's on all of us. It's on the aggregate of the, what I call the church or, you know, our little 200, whatever it is, person church. Yeah. Man, you know, that, that, that thing you said about the four quadrants there, what was it? Unconscious incompetence. Could you go? Yeah. Through the top, top left um, is unconscious incompetence. Top right is uh, unconscious or sorry, it's unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence. Um, bottom right is uh, conscious competence. And then bottom left is unconscious competence. So it's, it's the part where muscle memory takes over. And that's, you know, I used to train athletes. So I know that there's a place where we don't have to talk about mechanics and we can just talk about strategy. We can get that. We get the body focused, so focused and so trained. You know, that's why the best wrestlers in the world are in their early thirties. Yeah. You're so focused and so trained that the strategy, which in wrestling changes second by second, the strategy is it's all in your brain. It's all in your head. And you can just tell the body what to do. And that's part of that fourth quadrant. And you start to see that. I mean, I train tennis players you know, the, it's one of the most elite athletes in the world is somebody that can play up to five hours. The only people that can play that and win are the ones that have played five hours longer playing somebody else who can play five hours, you know, hitting nine to 10,000 shots. I mean, and it's just, it's when you get to that place um, that the mind is what matters. And so, gosh, you know, as a church, some of our sacraments, we're, ju we're just not engaging enough of the sacraments um, to, to live that holistic life, to free our mind up. We're, 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 
we're too hands-on as consumers. And, uh, and that's why it, for me, it's, it's a great reminder to go back to Steve because Steve didn't have the distraction of hands and feet. He couldn't use them. You know, he dove into a pool when he was 17 as a lifeguard snapped his neck. It, he didn't have the advantage of hands and feet. Like I had to be his hands and feet. I had to feed him and bathe him and clothe him and brush his teeth. And so he focused on people and the spirit of God. You know, yeah. so to him, it was a huge advantage. And when I first met him, I was like, wow, you're a fraction of a man. Like you can't do any of these things. And my second thought was like haunting. I just kept thinking, man, why am I jealous of you? There's something about him. I couldn't figure out it was what it was. I couldn't name it. Like I had no idea as a 16 year old what it was. And later I realized it's, it's because this guy is more full of God than, than he is of himself. You know, we talk about the flesh dying off. I actually met a man, knew a man for seven years that was less flesh than he was spirit. And so when he rolled into a room, holy cow, the room changed. And yeah. I saw, I mean, I saw thousands of people come to know the Lord because of this one dude. Awesome. I couldn't even shake your hand. I mean, that's the bar. That's what God can do through, through a willing heart and mind. Right. And the power of the word. I mean, yeah. <laughs> every time I think, you know, when you say that it, it's, it's the things he's saying that is, is talking to people. Obviously it's the Holy spirit working sure. through him, but still it's, it's, it's words more than anything else. Um, and then you have what, I mean, what we call God's word. I mean, it's because it's everlasting. It's mm. word, words on a, on a piece of paper will last forever and, and words spoken will fade away eventually. So I, mm. I think, it's a powerful thing. Well, hey, the you talk about those four quadrants, and I'm kind of stuck on that because the only thing I can think in my mind when I hear that, well, not the only thing, but one thing that comes to mind is uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Robert Kiyosaki's book, the the cash flow quadrant. Yeah, and yeah. I'm correlating all four of those with exactly what he has talked about in that book, and I mean. So you have the unconscious incompetence. That's the W-2 worker who is just doing a job. They don't have to think about it. They're just going to their job unconsciously. They're incompetent because they're, they're not running their own thing. And, and, yeah. and, and then you have the self-employed, which would be, I'm not sure which one it would be, the, un, the unconscious competence, maybe. Where, right, the life of an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> So yeah, conscious you're, 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 yeah, conscious incompetence. You're, you're able to do it, but it's not, it's not great yet. Right. And you have the business owner, you have the business owner who has uh, implemented strategies and stuff such that it can run itself, but you still have to be there. You still have so to be there. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the more conscious incompetence. And then the competent conscious is the investor who has figured it out and now has generated something that's producing and 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 now is actually a true investor and mm. and, and man that they all correlate very much correlate in my mind anyway yeah if you can and get so, through the mechanics of investing then you can focus on people and that's when opportunities open yeah, up absolutely 
So, well, then that just brings us to what you're doing with the blue collar uh, money mastermind stuff. So, so talk a little bit about what you're doing there and the, the opportunity that people have to, to get involved and, and learn how to be an investor in, in, yeah, a, so, in all these areas in life. Yeah. So it's, it's um, the class, it's, it's a 10 week masterclass. It's called uh, investing for kingdom impact. Um, we did the beta last year, myself and Mike with, with you and eight other guys. And, and we got incredible feedback. I mean, it was very helpful to change and kind of tweak what we were talking about. Um, and it's, it's essentially getting your, your household and, and your, um, and your, I guess your, your, your chops up to speed for investing. So there's a, there's a certain heart, there's a heart, there's a bit of heart work that has to be done to invest. Um, and then there are the actual mechanics of investing. And we want to prepare people as best as we can to take opportunities and, and, and free people up. You know, there, there's a standard that God keeps for, um, for investing. Um, and I think it's based around the relationship between people and the kingdom of God. So we, I think we need to be straight on those things and the things that affect it. Um, we do have an active enemy on the field. Um, and so it's, it's good to know what, what, um, yeah, what things can trip you up. Um, and you know, and then there are some of the basics that we'll talk about with investing. I, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, so I don't get into products. Um, so that's why we kind of live in the, you know, you've got, you've got to build a framework, um, to how to understand investing, whether you're going to dive into a certain lane, and how to prepare for it. So we talk about the, you know, the standards that God would have for us as investors, um, the target being, um, people, you know, and opportunities come from those relationships the mechanics of what safe investing looks like, you know, in this season of safety, we talked about, you know, the fraudulent nature of the market. Um, and so we, we will spend a decent amount of time on setting your family up, um, you know, for, uh, safety and, and then kind of, you know, big picture, like how, if you do have a, a dream, you know, that God has kind of given you that how to get there, we want it to be, you know, pretty practical, so it's 10 weeks. Um, there'll be some guest speakers and there'll be, you know, we'll kind of alternate between a, um, a classroom setting where I'm teaching some principles and then the mastermind part of it where we really interact with each other. And uh, that'll start June, early June and go for about 10 weeks. Awesome. That's, I'm, <laughs> I'm interested to learn more. Maybe I'll, Maybe I'll hop in there and 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 do it because yeah, I remember when we did the the beta a year ago or so. It it set me up and and I I learned a lot from it. And like I said, just happy. leading into this conversation was was the the whole gospel concept and just I don't know. I just, it made me want to learn more and and dive into it more and figure out how to invest in myself and, and invest in my Christian faith. Yeah, and figure out how I can start investing money wise in a, in a biblical manner. Yeah. And so whether you'd realize it or not, PW, you played a role in that in my life. So, Oh, praise God. So praise God. Yeah. That that's exciting. It, what, what was very fun for me is um, the amount of notes I took from the conversations that all the guys were having together, you know, how each each person had a unique story that God was narrating and, um, you know, and, and, 
every person's story was bringing out great conversation between the, mm-hmm. between the guys. And so even though this is going to go for 10 weeks, my hope, you know, cause this is the ultimate hope is that um, relationships will be built and guys can keep up with each other throughout the year, you know, because you, you want to be, you want to, again, you are, you are the aggregate of those people, the best people you hang out with. And yeah. so if you have challenging conversations and you can keep, challenging conversations going um you know we will have deeper relationships with jesus a year from now we will be more loving to our wives wives to their husbands better fathers and mothers you know to our kids and i mean all those things will happen um like you said if we disciple one another um so that's that's you know the ultimate goal there are very practical aspects to that especially when it relates to money so we'll dive into that too yeah awesome Hey man, we've been going for well over an hour here, so we probably better wrap up. But uh, okay. <laughs> I've always, I, I got a couple of questions that I always ask everybody on sure. the podcast. So, do you have a, a favorite Bible verse or favorite quote that uh, that kind of guides you in life? Yeah, John fifteen, John fifteen thirteen, um, and uh, greater love hath no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. And um, man, after after living with Steve. I, I left home when I was 16. Uh, being a Christian didn't fly with my family. So um, I lived on couches, you know, for a year and a half and spent a lot of time in Steve's house. And I I can name, I can name the folks that laid down their life for me. And, uh, and, you know, and God says, that's the standard. If you want to see what worship looks like, that's the standard. Um, so I, I lean into that. And my favorite story in the Bible um, is, is, is uh, the Ezekiel 17. And it's, it's the story of Israel. Um, and it's the weirdest. It reads like Lord of the Rings. It's got two eagles, a vine. Um, it's, it's a supernatural story on, on one page that tells us um, who we are. And, and I'll leave it at that. It's, it's, uh, I stumbled upon it one day and it, it kind of changed everything for me. When we get done here, I get back on the highway. I'm going to want to pop open the Bible app and listen to Ezekiel 17. I think yeah. I know what you're talking about, but I, I need to read it, listen to it again. So. It's, yeah. It's, it's, right. it's epic. <laughs> I wish somebody would make a movie about just that chapter. Yeah. Hey, maybe you're in the running for it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got artistic abilities. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Last question. Yeah. All right. Imagine this. Imagine this. You're in a room full of teenagers. They're getting ready to head out into life, start a life of their own. And the unthinkable happens. You actually have their full attention. Hmm. What, what wealthy piece of advice do you leave them with? What wealthy piece of advice? I mean, I, this is off the cuff. I, I mean, it, I would, um, I'm going to, I'll give them the advice that somebody gave me while I was driving through Kansas and it was very clarifying. It's not the best advice in the world, but a friend of mine, I was crying while I was on the road because I was just so tired of driving and being in Kansas. Cause it's like, you know, it's a nine hour state to drive through. <laughs> yep. And my buddy, I called my buddy and he said, uh, you know, I, I was rambling for about 20 minutes. He goes, all right, stop. If you want to figure this out, he goes, figure out what you hate and spend the rest of your life fixing it. 
Oh, and then he hung up on me. But so I couldn't, <laughs> so I couldn't respond. And I thought to myself, and and I and I and I've lived my life by it. The thing I hate the most is that people don't know what God thinks of them. And I'm going to fix that. I want to fix that in my little world. I want people to know what God thinks of them. Practically, what does that look like? I got to give them some margin for that conversation, my conversation with them, our conversation to matter. I have to give them some little bit of freedom. They have to taste a little bit of freedom so then they can consider what I think is valuable and maybe they will consider it valuable. Awesome. That's great. I think that would go a long way with teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> Heck, it goes a long <laughs> way with me. So very cool. Hey, PW, this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to more conversations. Me like too, say, man. This is after, so fun. After you watch, after you watch the chosen, we need to get back on here and talk about it. But deal. Uh, deal. What? Uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can people learn more about you? More importantly, how can people uh, figure uh, sign up for the uh, the master class you're doing? Yeah. So uh, if you just uh, my email is pw.gopal, G-O-P-A-L, at thebluecollarmoney.com. Uh, the website is thebluecollarmoney.com, and that's the name of the podcast is Blue Collar Money. So plenty of ways to get a hold of me um, and to sign up for um, the masterclass. And um, just for background, just go and listen to the podcast and, and get a feel for, for what we're about. Uh, that's the easiest way. Podcast. The podcast is called Blue Collar Money. Blue Collar Money. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'll get all that in the show notes and... Uh, I look forward to talking with you and I hope people will sign up for the class. So thank you. Rob. It's been awesome. It's been good talking to you too. So this is the wealthy trucker podcast. My name is Eric Neely signing off. This is Eric Neely from the wealthy trucker podcast. Let's talk about your financial wealth for a minute. Are you taking it seriously? Do you know what you're invested in? Are your investments properly diversified? or are you completely exposed to stock market fluctuations? Considering the volatility of the stock market, now is a great time to diversify into real assets. Multifamily real estate or apartment complexes are one of the safest, most stable, reliable assets to invest in. It's why life insurance companies and the ultra wealthy tend to have multifamily assets in their portfolios. What most people don't know is almost anyone can invest in multifamily. I started investing in multifamily several years ago it did so well for me that i decided to scale up and buy larger properties by partnering with people just like you now you have the opportunity to diversify out of the stock market and start investing in real assets real enough that you can drive by them and see just how well they're being taken care of the awesome thing is you don't have to get out and pick up the trash or mow the lawn i take care of that so if you're ready to invest like the wealthy do get a hold of me Visit febroscapital.com. That's www.febroscapital.com. Schedule a conversation with me. Let's produce some financial wealth together. This is a wealthy trucker signing off.